day. Thank you for the beautiful weather today. Thank you that you've given us this facility to meet in, this building. Thank you that the church can gather, and, uh, and, and we do so because of you calling us out of the world and making us your people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we gather together, and we would ask that you would open your word to us. Thank you that you've given us your word, you've protected your word, And we can open it together and we can study it together so that we can be good disciples of Jesus Christ. So help us as we uh, go into the word to get from it what you desire for us as individual children of God as well as a church family. And uh, we ask that the end result would be that we look more like our Savior and we'd do a better job at bringing him glory each and every day. So help us to have ears ready to hear what the Spirit has to say. And we pray this in Christ's great name. Amen. So yes, we're back in the book of Philippians. We did kind of an overview of the first two chapters last week. We had left off uh, December 8, 2019, Right as COVID hit, we had left off our uh, going through the book together, but we are back on. So we are actually in chapter three, and we'll be looking at verse seven and following today. Let me read those verses, and then we'll do just a quick review of the first six verses, and then see what God has to say to us. So, chapter three, verse seven. Well, whatever gain I had. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So in the beginning of this chapter, Paul kind of starts out with a reminder with all the things that he has said about the gospel and facing persecution because of the gospel and the example of Christ and his own suffering so that we might be saved. The examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He he gives this word. He says, finally, verse 1, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write these things, same things to you. There's no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he says, Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I I, I want you to make sure you get it, that while all of this is going on and we face difficulty because of our faith in Christ, because pressure is coming upon you as God's people, don't forget to rejoice in the Lord. That's where our joy is found, the joy of the Lord. Uh, Chris was talking about Pastor Steve and Jane being in the presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy. But we have full joy now. That's what John wrote in his epistle, 
that we who know the Lord Jesus Christ have full joy now. Now, it's a little different when we get there because we'll be in the presence of our Lord, but we have full joy now. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? In verse one, uh, 3 and verse 1, he said, uh, finally, my brothers. Then he writes the second half of the epistle. He's only halfway through, and he says, finally. Like, that's a pre- preacher's way of saying, you know, like, we're coming to the end. But not yet. You know, if you want to get to the end, you've got to say, in conclusion. Really, what the a way I would translate the Greek word that is used here is, as to the rest. You know, as to what remains. Let me go on with that. And he slightly switches gears in chapter 3. And starting in verse 2, he, he identifies the need to watch out for the false teachers were primarily Jewish in their origin. They were those that were coming along and saying, hey, yeah, believe in Christ. You've got to believe in Christ. Salvation by faith in Christ. But you also got to be circumcised. you also got to keep the rituals. You've got to do Jewish things. You've got to become a Jew in order to really be right with God. And he, he, he hammers them in verse 2, doesn't he? Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Speaking of physical circumcision as one of the rituals that a Gentile con- uh, convert to Christ, in their thinking, would have to go through in order to be right with God. So he identifies them and he says, they're like a, they're like a pack of wild dogs, not like pets, like we have, you know. Watch out for the wild dogs that come in a pack and they rip and tear and destroy. And, and they are evildoers in that, in that he's stressing that they do harm. They bring ruination to people through their false doctrine. And they are trusting in ritual rather than in faith, believing in Christ. So it identifies those false teachers. And, and then in verse 3, he says, in contrast, there's guys like me. You know, it says we, he doesn't say I, but in verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. What he means by that is the true circumcision, which is not physical circumcision. It's always been true circumcision of the heart. Even the Old Testament talked about it that way. Now, they did have to go through physical circumcision as children of Abraham, but God was always more concerned about the heart than the male organ, right? And so we are the true circumcision of have our hearts circumcised by God, not by human hands. And he says we are also those who worship by the Spirit of God. In other words, we worship by the Spirit, not by ritual. It's not forced upon us, it's drawn from us. Our declaration of the glory of God, how worth how much worth he has in our eyes is by the Spirit of God. He draws it out of us. Quite different than the false teachers. And he says, and we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So we, we glory in Christ and Christ alone. We don't glory in what we do. We glory in what he has done. He says, that's, that's what true believers should have in their thinking and then in, in, in verses 4 through 6, he basically kind of talks 
in the sense of his own testimony. He says, now these false teachers, they come in and they want to like give you their spiritual resume. We spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time on this. They come in and say, well, we've, got, we've been circumcised and we keep all the r- rituals and we obey the law, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Paul's like, you know, they put confidence in the flesh. And then he says in verse four, uh, uh, you know, we put no confidence in the flesh, verse 3, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If I'm going to play their game, if I'm going to play by their rules, I'll give you the, my, my uh, spiritual resume according to their way of thinking. Here would be his resume. And that's the rest of what he says through, uh, through verse 6. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tri- of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he's saying, if, if, if they want to just examine spiritual resumes based on what is done in the flesh, I've got them beat. I'm king of the hill. I'm at the top. Now he's, he's stressing, he doesn't think that way. He puts no confidence in that. But at the same time that he's doing that, he is really identifying for us where salvation is not found. And I, and I don't know if you recall it. I'm sure most of you have perfect recall of every sermon I've preached out of the book of Philippians. But just as a reminder to you, what he's basically saying in verses 4 through 6 is salvation is not by ritual, which is the circumcised the eighth day. Uh, salvation is not by race, you know, uh, of the people of Israel. God is broader than that. His intention was always broader than Israel. Salvation is not by rank, and that's what he means by of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, that one tribe that had joined with Judah in the southern kingdom, that re- you know, stood tall, and where the first king of Israel had come from. It has nothing to do with rank. Salvation is not by religious lineage, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. It doesn't matter that your parents were Jews and their parents were Jews and their parents were Jews and their parents were Jews all the way back to Abraham. It doesn't matter. That isn't where salvation is found. And then he says salvation is not by religious strictness. That's what he means by as to the law of Pharisees. The Pharisees were known as the strict law keepers, right? They not only knew it, they said you got to keep it. And they came up with more laws to put on top of the laws that God had given to the children of Israel. But salvation didn't come by strictness, religious strictness. And next he says, salvation is not by religious zeal. As to zeal, I became a persecutor of the, of the church. If God were only you know, based in salvation on religious zeal, well, I would have been at the top of the heap. But salvation didn't come by zeal. And then lastly, salvation is not by law, righteousness. That's what he means. According or under the law as to righteousness, blameless. But salvation doesn't come by keeping the law, you know, better than other people, right? That's what he's really saying. Uh, The law is important. He's not downplaying the law. The law shows the character of God, shows us how far we fall short of the glory of God. He's not downplaying the law. He's saying salvation didn't come by keeping the law. 
And that's where we come to verse 7, which we've read. You can see that he's continuing his thought, right? Verse 7 is a continuation of what he says because of the way it starts. But whatever gain I had. You know, the but is a continuation, right? It's linking verses 4 through 6 with what he's going to say now. But, you know, whatever gain I have, I consider lost. Now, think with me for a moment. What I've titled this whole section, which is really chapter 3, verse 7 through 16, which we didn't read all of that, but it's one, you know, one idea. And I, I put it down this way. The gospel is transformational. That's the title of this sermon, right? And uh, as I was thinking about that and what Paul was saying here, I, I thought, you know, it's not uncommon for those uh, sharing the gospel with the lost to hear a response Something like this. Well, even, even if I say I believe what you're telling me about heaven and hell and about Jesus being the Savior, I'm not ready to turn my life over to God. There's just so much that I would have to give up if I were to become a Christian. There's so much I would have to give up to become a Christian. And the reality is that many view Christianity this way. They think of Christianity this way, as if, as if it involves a great loss rather than a great gain, right? A great loss rather than a great gain. There, there's too much to give up to become a Christian. That's how a lot of people think. And then, and I was thinking, not just lost people, but there are others who, having professed their faith in Christ and have become involved in a church and are excited, you know, initially they're excited about what they are experiencing and they seem to be growing. But at a later time, they begin to think of the things that they gave up when they became a follower of Christ. The more they think of those things, the more they begin to long for them. Their mind dwells on it, and they begin to have a desire to go back to those things that they had to give up when they became a Christian. And when this happens, they too start to consider that their faith has brought them up to a point of loss rather than gain. Well, This is the very thing that Paul is really addressing in these verses that we're in. The gospel is transformational, and it helps us to understand loss and gain in a new way. I put verses 3, 7 through 11, and you have it in your sermon insert as, Knowing Christ has changed the way that I view life. Right? Knowing Christ... That's what Paul's saying. Knowing Christ has changed the way that I view life. He's saying that, and each of us as believers should be able to say that as well. Now, I've identified five things in these verses, 7 through 11, uh, that we need to talk about. The first is, if you're filling in blanks, here you go. Let's talk profit and loss. Let's talk profit and loss. That's verse 7. So as Paul continues his testimony, which he started in verse 4, basically identifying the things that had given him 
confidence in the flesh, all those things that made him think that he was right with God before he came to know Christ. Now he describes a radical and a total change in his orientation to life, hinged on faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Here's something that we should consider as we look at this. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the way that a believer in Christ views all of life. It's the third time that I've said that. And it's very important that we get this. Being a follower of Christ changes the way that we view all of life. All of life. Because the gospel is transformational. Now, Paul puts it this way in verse 7 again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, he has just shared that he once considered his privileges and accomplishments and advantages in religion as giving him confidence in the flesh, right? In verses 4 through 6. And and then he takes up this language of accounting. I don't know if you thought of it that way, but that's what it is. It's the language of accounting, speaking of gain and loss. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And this is underscoring his startling change in values, right? As a result of his conversion on the Damascus Road when he met Jesus, he no longer thinks of his past advantages as assets, but as liabilities. No longer thinks of all those things that he listed, you know, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, you know, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, you know, zealous, strict, uh, law-keeping, you know, being blameless. He no longer thinks of that as an asset, but as a liability, Notice what he says, and I'm so happy to be back just kind of going through verse by verse and, in a sense, word by word through a passage. So uh, as I was studying this, I came across this, you know, whatever gain I had, whatever. That's an indefinite pronoun. If you didn't know that, that's what it is. It's not a definite pronoun pointing to a specific Thing, but an indefinite pronoun, and in this context, point to several things. Back to his previous listings of his advantages, his achievements, his accomplishments, you know, as one who kept the law, had all those benefits. So the truth is, what he's doing with this whatever is he's demonstrating that such a list like he had just has given is not exhaustive. It's illustrative, right? What do I mean? Well, I mean any kind of privilege or personal uh, religious accomplishment or achievement leading to a view that one is righteous before God could be added to this list. What would that be? Well, we could say, you know, philanthropic deeds, you know, caring for other people regardless. We don't know them. You know, it could be giving money to a homeless person, taking someone and, you know, getting in a hotel room for the night or buying them a meal. Philanthropic deeds could be added to that list. Giving to charities, 
could be added to that, whether it's you know, a Christian mission like the rescue mission, or it could be to the food bank or something like that, the covenant house could be added to the list. Working for organizations like Habitat for Humanity could be added to the list, or volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club, or Youth for Christ. You could add that to the list. Uh, working at a Christian camp, many of you in, your, in the past have worked at North Star Bible Camp or some other Bible camp, you know, and you volunteer. That could be added to the list. Working in, in ministry full-time, well, that's like more points. That could be added to the list. You see, what Paul identified in 4 through 6 is a list, but that list is not exhaustive. It's illustrative. And what I'm saying is this. We can fall into the habit or the way of thinking that is like, even as believers, we can fall into this. Get this. We can think, I'm saved by faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone. Hallelujah. But now that I am saved, I better shape up. I better, I, I better get it right because I want to be blessed by God and I don't want to be punished by God. So I better keep a list. What's on my list? Well, it could be these kinds of things. It could be, I go to church, you know, I go to church. And, and you know, when I was a kid, I got the, you know, 15-year uh, pin for going to Sunday school without ever missing. I'm not quite that good anymore, but I still go to church. And, you know, I, I, I remember the Lord. We, when we do communion, I partake of it. And, and you know, they talk a lot about, in, in this church, about reading my Bible. Well, I, I do that, well, not every day, mind you. But, you know, I pick it up every now and then, read it. And, uh, you know, and if, if they ask for help on something, I'm willing to kick in a little time. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, all right, I'll be right with God. I'll be blessed of God. But even worse are those who think that those kinds of things, they're lost. They think doing those kinds of things can make them right with God. That's the confidence in the flesh that Paul is talking about. So pretty important indefinite pronoun, isn't it? Whatever, whatever gain I had. So Paul used to think of those things in his previous view of life as gain or profit. You could translate that word profit as well. And it was a word that was often used of, of money. Now, this is significant. It is. In, in the Greek text, the, the word for gain is kerde. And it's in the plural. It's in the plural. Why is it in the plural? Because he's given a list of things. Not one thing out of the six or seven, but the list of things. It's a plural thing, right? But the word loss, whatever I, whatever I had in this game, I counted loss. That word, as they mean, is singular. Now, let me explain why that's important. Before Paul met Jesus and was converted, Paul had carefully counted up all the separate items. That list, right? He counted all of those items up as merit, thinking that when the heavenly audit occurred, and, you know, and judgment was made on the final day, the result would be that all those things collectively would put him in a right standing before God. That's the way he used to think. That's the way a lot of lost people think, doing all the separate things, 
plural. But now he says, really, the truth is, I see it as a loss, not a gain. Right? So a significant change in Paul's appraisal of his past privileges and accomplishments has taken place. Now he views his past achievements differently, as can be seen by the second half of this verse. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So this radical change that he's expressing here, of viewing his religious merits as a gain in the past, but as a loss now, began on the Damascus Road. He was on mission with one of the items in the list, a persecutor of the church, to go to Damascus to root out the followers of Christ and either put them in jail or even see them put to death. That was one of the plural caridate game. But he met Jesus on the road (laughs) and everything changed in a heartbeat. All the things which he had viewed as gain, he says, I now count Counted, have counted as loss. Now, this is, this is grammar. This is words. It's good. Take joy in it. This is written in the perfect tense. I have counted would be a better translation of it. I have counted as loss. So here's what I thought. I thought it was gain, but I met Jesus, and since then I've counted it as loss. Because the perfect tense stresses this. Something happens at one point in time, but the results continue from there on. It's like Jesus saying, it is finished. It was finished when he died on the cross for us, but has the effect of what he did on the cross stopped? No. No. No, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Or the, when he says, it is written. Well, it was written at a point in time. Old and New Testament. But it stands written. It remains written because the word of God is eternal. Right? So here he's saying that, you know, the perfect tense is, is, is bringing out the present significance of his past change of attitude. What happened on the Damascus Road wasn't a momentary or short-term change of values, but rather a permanent and radical change in how he viewed life. And so it is with every child of God who truly trusts in Christ, believes that they're right with God through faith and not by human merit. Because they, like the Apostle Paul, will end up seeing human merit as a liability, as a loss rather than a gain. Oh, rest in that, beloved. And don't think of it in terms of that was what happened at the, you know, when I was saved. But it's still happening. It's still the way that I think. I'm not going to fall into the trap like the Galatians did, who began by faith but then tried to continue by keeping the law. He called them foolish and even close to falling away from Christ, proving that they were never genuine believers at all. Now, the word loss, Simeon, uh, it refers to suffering the loss of something that one possessed. But with the implication that the loss involves considerable suffering, hardship. 
That's a Greek lexicon gives that information, which is just a Greek dictionary. So it originally, secular language, you know, a Greek language, it originally referred to a disadvantage, which uh, was used primarily in the commercial world, you know, profit and loss in the commercial world. And the disadvantage took the form of a loss of money or material goods, you know, a loss. Um, You know, you could think of it if you have stocks. You know, I bought the I bought the stock at this, and you know it was going up and up and up, but now it's crashed, and man, I just lost all kinds of money, right? And that was how that word was originally used, and and then it came to be viewed as a disadvantage in a moral or a spiritual sense as well. Now, what Paul means by this is not simply that his previous confidence in the flesh had resulted in a big fat zero. That would be true. You know, what was a gain, now it's a big fat zero. But it's even worse than that. Those gains, that list of things, he says, was not just a big fat zero, it was actually a disadvantage or a detriment, a liability that was, you know, then in my life. He once had, one author writes, he once had regarded such things as profit toward his goal of achieving righteousness by the law, but now he has come to the settled conviction that they were actually a detriment. So his religious achievements had not provided him with righteousness at all, had they? Well, self-righteousness. What is our self-righteousness before God? Come on, you know it. Filthy rags, that's right. Filthy rags. So that, you know, he had that self-righteousness, but that was certainly not a gain because in God's sight, that was a filthy rag. By trusting vainly in human performance and religious keeping of rituals and, you know, a strict observance of the law, he had not only failed to make any progress towards a right relationship with God, which is what righteousness is, right? A right relationship with God, or we could say with other people as well, as Pastor Greg has been teaching recently. But they had actually driven him to something bad. Not to neutral ground, but to something bad. Persecuting the church. The church, which is the, the, the entity that actually provided the gospel message to people on how to actually be right with God through faith in Christ. Do you get what he's saying? What I thought was a gain. And it ended up being a detriment, a disadvantage. It put me, you know, if I, if I thought I was at like plus 10, now, you know, after understanding, it would be, I'd be at like minus 3. Not just a 0, but below that. That's what he's saying. This this radical change in Paul's value took place. Notice what he says. I have counted loss for the sake of Christ, right? For the sake of Christ. But what does he mean by that? I mean, what does he mean by uh, this prepositional phrase? Uh, He does not mean, hear me please, he does not mean that he made this reassessment for Christ, as the King James Version has, or 
for the sake of Christ, as the ESV, the NAS, the NIV, probably other modern translations have, as though somehow Christ would benefit by his changed view of life. Do you get that? That's kind of the, the way that we would think of for the sake of Christ. It's like for his benefit, right? But he's not talking about something that would be a benefit for Christ. Christ doesn't need that benefit. A better translation of the phrase would be because of Christ or on account of Christ. I've counted as loss because of Christ. Or I've counted as loss, all that I thought was a gain before, I counted as loss now on account of Christ. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the reality of Jesus being the Christ and the Lord himself that had changed everything for him. Remember when he was on the Damascus Road? <laughs> Jesus says, it's awfully hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? I keep poking at you, and you keep resisting. Who are you, Lord? He knew it was the Lord God who was speaking to him. But he didn't know who the Lord God was. He didn't believe Jesus was Lord God at that moment. And then Jesus revealed himself to him, and he believed that he was the Lord God from that moment on. And it changed him from the inside out. The gospel transformed him through and through. And then the point is that when Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, understanding him to be the Lord himself, he gladly gave up all his deficit understanding or deficient understanding of a right relationship with God based on human meritorious works, good deeds, religious activity, etc. for one that was based solely on faith in Jesus Christ. Now we should consider this. We should. Because I think it is not uncommon I mean, that, that's the way that unbelievers think. Let's just understand that. If they have thoughts, there is a God, I'll give an account. They are thinking in terms of human merit will make me right with God. But let's talk about us as those who have professed faith in Christ. It is all too easy, as I've already said, for us to fall into a pattern of thinking where we believe that if we do the right things, we go to church, we give money when they take an offering, we, you know, we partake of the, the communion, we, you know, uh, help set up chairs, or we, we, we're helping hands in the kitchen, cleaning after lunch, or we make the lunch, or, you know, I, I, I take care of the sound, or, you know, hey, I play the piano, or I pick up the cups that are left after we have the service. I pick up all those loose cups and, you know, or I pick up the, the bolts. I pick up the trash or I, I help someone that needs help with anything, a, a chair or getting into their car. Let me go get your car. Or, you know, uh, you know, I think I'm a pretty good husband. You know, or, I, you know, I, I love my kids to death and I'd be willing to die for them. Or, you know, I, I think I'm the best employee where I work. I mean, I look at everyone else, I'm pretty immoral, and I'm not. And we begin to think of all those things 
as meritorious works before God that will make us right in the sense of not saving us from our sin, but keeping us from God's discipline and punishment. You know, so we, we, we might end up thinking, if I, oh, man, I forgot my checkbook. And, you know, they're taking the offering. What's going to happen? Am I, you know, something going to break at my house this week? That's probably why I got a flat tire because I, I blew it. You know, I missed church on Sunday. and Right? You know what I'm talking about? We have to guard against it. Understand that Paul is helping us to guard against it by these words. Whatever was gain, I, I've counted it as loss. Worse than a big fat zero, it, it, it drove me away from God. When I met Christ, I was brought to the only one who could save me. And he did. I was saved by grace, through faith. And that faith wasn't even from me, it was from God. It was by the grace of God, not by my works, not by my list of things that will keep me right with God, that will help me to avoid his discipline, that will, you know, in fact, will make me look pretty good in the eyes of others. Let's abandon that way of thinking. All that God is doing in us and through us, it's God's doing, not ours. Praise to him. Praise to him. I kind of thought we'd get past that point, but that's a good place to stop. Lord, we come to you and we are thankful for the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried. He actually died for our sins. Burial proved that. And that he rose from the dead. He took up his own life again. And thus, it would be true what he had spoken not long before his suffering and death and resurrection when he spoke to Mary and Martha. And he says, I am the resurrection and life. And he, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live again. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die phys- uh, spiritually. Oh, praise you for the gospel. And... Thank you for the part of the gospel which can be overlooked, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us that comes and indwells us. We have you, Father, and and the Son of God dwelling in us by the Spirit of God, trying God in us. And so that being true, Lord, help us to understand that the gospel should, if it hasn't already, should change that we view everything in life. May our contemplation on this and then our behavior as a result of it bring glory and honor to the Savior. Pray this in his name. And Lord, we also pray that you would take the food that you provided graciously to us and those that have put it together for us and take that food and nourish our bodies with it to the glory of your name as well. Amen.